Well, good morning. Say, uh, I agree. It's a blessing to watch somebody take the things of this world, the things of this life, the things of God, and wrestle them together, work it through, and come out glorifying the Lord in the right way. It's a blessing. We all need to have that spirit in our hearts. Uh, it's, don't take anything for granted. Do the things that we need to do to find out what the truth is, because it's a mess out there. This morning, I want to talk about something. First, something we all have is a thing called values. Every one of us values things in a different way. And it's a mechanism in our hearts that we use continually. We're constantly choosing things we value, things we don't value, how high we value them, how low we value them. It affects everything we do. All of our values, excuse me, are different. We value different things. Somebody might lift something up and think it's wonderful. Somebody look at something else and go, it's worthless to me. Okay? And they're different, and that's okay. God made it that way. Some people walk out in the mornings and they go out and they stop and they just look at the beautiful day. They see the flowers out there. They hear the birds. They just stop and, and they value that. It's an important part of the morning. They look up and they praise the Lord. Other people just walk out the door, get in the car and boom, off they go. It's just something that we have. Some things we value are important. Some things maybe we value aren't important. I remember years ago I worked in this place as a rental company. And um, they had this uh, machine that tore apart and it had this old rusty axle piece to it. And it was something they would sell used stuff there. And uh, they had it up for sale. And several people came in and wanted to buy this thing, offered them several hundred dollars for it. I thought it should have been put in the dumpster, didn't see the need for it. And the owner turned it down and said, no, he wouldn't sell it. I thought, I would let it go. Well, then finally one day somebody comes in. And he looked at this thing, and he got all excited. He got his tape measure. He's looking at it, and it was just what he wanted. And they went back and forth. He saw, I can't remember, somewhere between $1,500 and $2,000 it sold for. To me, it was worth no value. But to this man, it had a value. So our values are different. So this morning, I don't actually want to talk about our values, but I want to talk about some of the things that we do value in life. Let's stop and pray. Our Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for the day you've given to us. Lord, help us as we share the bread of life to make and gain a better understanding of you, to understand things through your eyes, through your heart, through your ways. Lord, we're just your people, and we want to know the truth. We want to serve you and follow you with all of our heart. Father, bless us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll tell you a story. Years ago, I was in my early 20s, I think it was, mid-20s or so. But I met a man that started coming to a fellowship. His name was Jim Moody. And uh, he was building a home, brand new home. And uh, a lot of the brothers that were there decided, well, we'll help him build this house. So I went over there one day, and we were doing the framing of it, putting up all the, the walls and the outside uh, sheathing and everything. And uh, behind his home, was this little run-down mobile home, single-wide mobile home. And I found out that's the house that he lives in. And it needed a lot of work. It was all 
it just looked like it was shabby. The shutters were partway coming down. The windows didn't work. The door didn't close properly. The roof was worn out. But they lived in this house for a lot of years. And everything was uh, in need of repair. But you know, he didn't bother fixing up this house because he knew somewhere down the road, I'm building an even better house. So if it broke and he could get away with it, he'd put the duct tape on it and let it go. And he did that for a lot of years. And as he built this house, obviously he wasn't going to put a penny into fixing up this home. Because I asked him about it, he said, well, when he's all done and gets this house done and they move in, he said, we're just going to have that hauled away and somebody can have it or destroy it. It didn't matter. That house was going to be useless to him. So he wasn't putting anything into that home. So a question for us this morning. Just suppose we were having a house built right next door to us. And we're watching this house being built, and it's our home. We could build it, have it built any way we wanted to. Just what we wanted. Okay? How many of us would take time and money and resources into the house we're living in? How many of us would take the time to keep painting it, replacing things, putting a new carpet? None of us would. We'd be looking at that beautiful home coming up next door, knowing that's the house that I want. That's going to have everything... And that's where all of our attention would go. I want to look this morning at Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Solomon, I very much like the book of Ecclesiastes because Solomon obviously was wiser than all of us put together. And he was also a man who had it all. He lived a life that none of us could ever live. He had wisdom to always get it, I should say get it right, but we won't go into the other part there. Um, He built cities. He did all kinds of things. He's a man that knew what it was like to have life the way he wanted it. I lift that up because he did everything. If he wanted it, he had it, and he had it perfect. He knew what that was like. And yet, we're going to look at what he writes in the end and realize where his values really went to. So I want to read through this, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It says, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. And the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble, and the strong men shall bow themselves, And the grinders shall cease because they are few. And those that look out of the windows be darkened. And the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low. And he shall rise up at the voice of the bird. And all the daughters of the music shall be bought low. Also, when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and the fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be burdened, and the desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home. And their mourners go about in the streets. Or even the silver cord be loosed, or the gold bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, He hath good heed, and sought out, and set in order many proverbs. 
The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even the words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads, and the nails fastened by the master of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further by these, my son, be admonished. And making of many books, there is no end, and such study is weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. After all Solomon's life, he comes down to this here. Verse 14, he acknowledges, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You know, so often when people hear the word judgment, it sends a panic into our heart. You know, we talk to a lot of people, it's like, well, God's going to judge us in the end. And everyone goes, <gasps> okay, well, if you've done wrong, okay. But also that judgment, it's if we did good or evil. We're going to be judged of the good things we did. We're going to be judged of the things that we did right. We're all going to have that judgment. It's Solomon acknowledges God's going to bring every single work in a judgment. Look, look at verse 13. He says, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. If we know that we're going to be judged by God in the end, and that every work we do is going to be judged, he gives us this great admonition here. He says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's why we're here. I don't know about you, but I struggle sometimes with why I'm here. You know, we get involved in life, and we get involved in doing things, and sometimes we can simply kind of put God on the shelf a little bit lower than he should be, and we put other things up there. But our whole purpose is because God created us. God gave us this life. God wants us to persevere for him. Our whole duty is to fear God and keep his commandments. It's not for us to find the loopholes to how we can live and justify and say it's okay. That doesn't work in the end. You know, his thought just came to my mind, thinking of that. Um, a while back, there was a man that got ran into a problem, and he got really, really upset. And he started really carrying on. And uh, somebody did what we do these modern days, is they pulled out their cell phone and started recording the whole thing. The guy got so angry and mad, not because of the phone, but because of whatever was going on, they finally called the police on him. And the police come in and they talk and they find out what he was doing. He was threatening. He was all these things. Well, they come up and they talk to him and ask him. He's like, oh, no, I was upset, but I wasn't really mad. You know, he kept saying, no, I'm not like that. That's not me, whatever. And then finally they showed him the video. And he looked at that thing. He was like, his face was white. He just looked. He said, I see that, but that's not me. That's not who I am. He faced reality of what he really was. You know, all of us, one day, are going to be accountable for all the things we do. And God says, keep my commandments, follow my word. Back up to verse 5, where it says, um, the last part says, because man goeth to his long home. And that's what I'll focus on this morning, our long home. 
You know, this life that we live in right now is just a short little span. It might seem long. It might seem like it lasts forever, but it doesn't. It's actually pretty short. And if we can ever somehow compare what our lifespan would be to eternity, I mean, it's not even a speck. You wouldn't even notice it on the charts. But are we living for this life here? Is this all that there is? Is this what we're supposed to make out of it? Because that's what I was taught when I graduated high school. You know, it's about what I can make of myself here on this earth, what it's all about. And then once I met Jesus Christ, I realized that's not what it's about. It's about living and serving him for all that he did. Our life here is just a short time. It's our short home. How much value should we put into our short home? And how much value should we put in our long home? These earthen vessels aren't going to last. They simply won't last. Death came by sin. Every one of us has been, like it says in the Old Testament, we've been cut through the fifth rib, cut through the liver. And death is just a matter of time. That's where we're heading for. I met a man one day, he was a doctor. And uh, a very talkative man. But one of the things that he pointed out, he said, you know what this life is all about? From his medical experience, he said, you're born. And he said, you live to about 30. And your body grows and grows and grows and grows and gets better. He said, at 30, everything starts failing and then you just get ready to meet your maker. <laughs> that was his perspective on life. You know, we already sang this morning what this message was about. When we sang that song, Mighty Maker of Frame, of Frame, Almighty Maker of my frame, teach me the measure of my days. Teach me how frail I am. And spend the remnant to thy praise. My days are shorter than a span. A little point my life appears. How frail at best is dying man. How vain are his hopes and his fears. Vain his ambitions, noise and show. Vain are the cares which rack his mind. He heaps up treasures mixed with woe and dies and leaves them all behind. Oh, be not a noble portion mine, my God. I bow before thy throne. Earth's fleeting treasure I resign and fix my hope on thee alone. That's beautiful. When I heard that this morning, I thought, oh, praise the Lord. Let's look at Revelation chapter 20. I guess we'll cut it into verse 11 here. Do 11 and 12. And it says, And I saw a great white throne in him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, and the book, uh, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those books which were written in the books according to their works. All the things that we do in this short home of ours, this short life, are going to be brought into judgment. Like that man when he stared at that little screen and saw what he really was. You know, when we stand before God, it's our life against his truth. 
I don't think we'll have time to justify our points. So what are the things that um, matter on this earth? The things that are going to be bought into judgment. You know, I remember growing up, there was a uh, drive-in theater a few miles from our house. And you'd pull into this in the road. The parking lot was all like this, so you can park on the crown of the hill. And you look up, and there's this huge, huge silver screen up there. And it's just gigantic, and that's where they played the movies up there. Someday, I don't know how it'll be, but I always just pictured after I'd gotten converted and, and, and started looking at these things, my whole life is going to be played on that silver screen. Even the secret things. It all matters. We have this little trigger inside us to think, oh, it's okay, it doesn't matter. How many of us use that? You don't got to raise your hands. We just dismiss certain little things and it's okay. But it does matter sometimes. The things that we do with our hands and our feet, all those things that we do, no matter what it is, make a difference in this life versus the life to come. Our eyes, the things that we're looking at, the things that we see program our mind and our thought patterns, and then we live those things out in years to come. The things that we speak or the things that we hear other people speak make a big difference. The words that come of our mouth. I know what words used to come out of my mouth. God changed all that by reading and reading and reading. And spending time with God and His Word changed the things that come out. Our ears. We've got these things these days called earbuds. You see them all over the place. When I grew up, there were these great big things you put on, you know, to listen to something. But now they put them on, and you don't even realize some people, you go up to talk to them, and all of a sudden they pull this out of their ear. They're putting, we're putting stuff into our ears all the time. But what are we listening to? It's programming our minds. It's affecting our life. And we might say, well, it's okay. But what we do in this short Span here affects our long home. How about the way we treat our neighbor, not just the one next door, our neighbor? How do we treat those around us? All those things matter. How we react to people, how we react to trials and problems, it makes a difference. What about our spouse, our husband or our wife? How do we treat them? You know, there's many people, not here, I think here, but everybody thinks they're the greatest person they'd ever know. And yet, they treat their spouse terribly. Our family. How do we respond to our family? How do we respond to those things in life? What are we doing with our family? All these things are programming us. All these things, God says, going to bring every work into judgment. So often we think they don't matter. What about our time? What do we do with our time? Are we using our time effectively? Our activities. Whatever it is we do, our activities, things that are glorifying the Lord. We're now in this computer age where they're everywhere. I don't think it's much of an option. None of us can live this life and not be affected by a computer. What's that doing to us? Are we using those things for the right things? The multimedia, it's everywhere. We can communicate around the world to anybody any way we want to. What about our work, or our business, our jobs? Those things all relate to how we relate with Jesus Christ. We can't just say any of these things aren't important, I just put them over here. 
You know, if we give the devil one little way of getting into our life, I've seen this too many times. There's something God's knocking on the door that God wants somebody to not do. And they simply just say no. And it doesn't stop. It's just one little thing. God can overlook this one thing. That's not the point. The devil doesn't stop there. He keeps working at that thing and working at it. And before you know it, I can give up one other thing. I can give up one other thing. And it just keeps going. I know many people, I can, I'm sure all of us could give stories of people who just let one little thing in their life go. Maybe it's music. We heard this morning. But if we give that little thing a little space, I promise you, it doesn't stop there. It will be like cancer and it will grow. The games we play. You know, with games that we can play, uh, I'll just point this out sometimes. I'm not saying any game, not just playing a regular game, it's good for character building. Your heart comes out in those games. You know, what comes out? Do we have that spirit that says, i got to win, i got to be better than everybody else, and we rejoice when we win, we get mad and we lose? You know, but the things that we play, the things that we think about, you know, what goes in your mind when we're just meditating, when we're just sitting there thinking? Some people say, I'm not thinking anything. Well, I think that's impossible. Your mind's always thinking something. Maybe you're not paying attention, but it's working. What's going on there? You know, we can change the way we meditate by meditating upon God's word. It changes everything. How you spend your money. Is that something that's in God's control? When you get your check in, is it my money or is it God's money? How do, how do we look at that? How do we tithe? How do we give? Is our heart thinking, ah, I'm barely making it. This has got to be mine. I, I can't. Or do we just simply see a need and go, God, I don't care how I make my next payment. You'll take care of that. And we give and we help and we reach out to other people. How do you respond to the poor? Those that have needs. Somebody else is going to take care of that. I don't have to. I don't have the time. Maybe that's somebody that needs to respond as us. But how to respond to those that have needs? What about our prayer time? Our meditation time? You know, that's a fight right there. To get up in the morning and pray every day. I mean really pray. To talk to God. To actually confess to God the things you failed in before. Maybe it's something small. Maybe you just didn't talk right to somebody. Who knows what it was? Or maybe it's something bigger. That's not easy for everybody to do. A lot of us struggle with our prayer meditation time. But it's so important. The devil knows if I can pull that out of their life, if I can minimize that to them, if I can get them so busy in the morning or whatever it takes that they can't get that, he's winning a great victory. Our prayer and meditation time is very important to us. And that time of emptying out your heart is critical. Because if we don't take out that one little thing, that other little thing gravitates to it. And that other little thing, before you know it, you know what happens? I know a lot of people in the state right now, they've got so many things that they don't want to deal with any of it because it's too much to deal with. And they can't. It just builds up. 
if we can deal with something when it's small, it's kind of like trees. Have you ever seen trees where all of a sudden it gets one of those little tiny leaf almost coming out of it and you can just rub it off with your finger? Leave that thing alone for 20 years and you're out there with the chainsaw trying to cut it off. But if we can take care of those things when they're small. What about our friends? Your friends are impacting your life, whether you're doing it over your phone or over your computer or face-to-face. Your friends are impacting your life greater than most things. What about how we obey the commandments of God? How we respond to them? How do we respond to the things of pride? Pride is such a little thing that can creep up. You know, I think of pride. Sorry, but when I grew up, it was a resort area. You know, summertime, you know, people everywhere. There was arcade games and you name it, all kinds of stuff around. And they had this game called Whack-A-Mole. And you put like a quarter in this machine and these little moles pop up and your job is to hit them as fast as you can. The more you hit, the more points you get. Well, that's how pride works. It's dead one time and the thing pops up and it probably just keeps popping up in different spots. We've got to keep knocking that down. And it also can work solely in your life. But, you know, how do we respond to those things? What about our simple faith in God? You know, all these things are way more than I've ever said here this morning are the works that we do that will affect our long home. But it's in this short little time. What are we doing with it? How do we value life? Life's a short thing, and it needs to be treated fragilely. In this life, we can bless a lot of people. And in this life, we can hurt a lot of people. The question is, do we care? Do I really care about who I hurt and who I don't? And I know people that can hurt people and do things and it doesn't even bother the conscience one bit. Okay? One day, right now we live in these short home, our short home. One day we'll go to our long home. And you know, many of us here, we're born again. We've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we can get excited say, I'm going to my long home. I'm going to a place where I'm done with all this. And I'm going to be with my maker forever and ever. And that's a glorious thing. But I know there's some sitting right here that have never committed themselves to Jesus Christ. There's some sitting right here this morning that have not said, Lord, I'm a sinner that needs your grace. And I need to live for you and ask Christ in their life. And you'll still have a long home, but it won't be in glory. It won't be in glory. Because man goeth to his long home, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. You see, right now we have some control over our lives. We can do the things we want to do. But when you get in the hands of God, you're under his control completely. Once your spirit returns to him, he does with you what he wants to. So all these things we talked about this morning were important. We just need to serve the Lord with what we're doing. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Our short home determines what's going to happen in our long home, what's going to happen in the future. I want to look in James chapter 4. Verse 12. Bible says here in James chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There's one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? 
Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue their year, and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live, and do this or that. But now rejoice in but now ye rejoice in your boastings, all rejoice all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know, a life is just a vapor. Everybody knows what it's like. You get up on a cold morning, which are coming pretty soon, and you walk outside with a hot cup of coffee or maybe hot chocolate or maybe a hot cup of tea, and you walk out, and you're standing there, and that coffee or tea, whatever it is, the vapors come off it, and they just come up and they disappear. Just, and that's it, it's gone. That's all our life is. It's just a vapor. Just comes up and it's gone before we know it. I remember um, somebody that used to work with us in the military, and he said one day his sergeant took him out early in the morning. They went out to this pond, and they all stood around the pond, and it was just no wind, calm day. The water was like glass. He picked up a rock about this big, and he threw it right in the middle of the pond. And it went, made a big splash, and then the ripples came out, and eventually the ripples faded away, and it went back to just being smooth glass. And after it smoothed out, he looked at all the soldiers and he said, that's your life. That's all you are. You're here for a moment and it's all going to be over one day. I'm not sure all his points were. You know, but I remember growing up too, they had in the uh, summertime fireworks in the evenings on uh, at night. And they had one that I always used to like. It just used to go up and it would just get gigantic like a huge umbrella. It was all white or whatever goldish color you want to think about. And it went up and all of a sudden just covered the whole sky. And then all of a sudden it fizzled out and there was nothing there. It went back to black. That's what our life is. And then it's all over. It just lasted but a flash. Live life with the full potential of glorifying God. Look at First Peter chapter 2. Sorry. No, I'm right. First Peter chapter two. Start in verse two. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that she may grow thereby. If so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto living stones, a dis allowed indeed to men, but chosen of God and precious. He also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which alloweth Builders disallowed the same is made the head of the corner. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereas they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which in past times were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 
Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Here's an admonition for us. God promises us that if we believe in him, we won't be confounded. We don't have to be confused. Is this right? Is it wrong? And there are things that are black and white, simple. But there's other things that are incredibly gray, and they're very hard to discern. So how do we do that? I don't believe we on our natural minds can figure that out. But I do believe that God has the answers. God can help us through those things and clarify it. Okay? But we don't have to live this world being confused or confounded to what God really wants. It's not that hard. God has a way that we can follow him. The land of Ur, which Abraham came out of, I did quite a few years ago a little bit of research on that. And if I understand it right, that was a very rich area. They had a lot of modern things in Ur. They had actual running plumbing in some type of a, like we would have a modern sanitation system where they had like flush toilets and things of that nature. It's pretty advanced technology. They had stores where you can go in and buy and sell things. You could buy food. There was restaurants and things. I'm not sure how to put it in what they would say, but that's what it was back there. It was, it was a very nice land. And I want to look into Hebrews chapter 11. But the land of Ur was a very advanced, developed area, very rich area, very well developed. And God called on Abraham to leave that land. And in chapter 11, starting in verse 8, it says, And by faith Abraham, when he was called out to go into a place which he should after receive an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in a land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him, of that same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Though Sarah also herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she was judged, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang even out of one, as him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which by the seashore innumerable. All these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country, whence they came out of, they might have opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Stop there. Abraham left Ur, and he dwelt out in a tent. When it came to the land that he wanted, or not, I shouldn't say he wanted, when it came time to divide the land with Lot, what happened? Lot said, oh, I want the big plush land and all those things. And Abraham went somewhere else. Abraham was rich, and yet he possessed nothing. It was all God's. You see, it says in here that, I think it's verse 5, um,
It says, for he looked for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker was God. But he also said in there that if they had been mindful of the country they came out of, they might have wanted to go back. But you see, Abraham knew that God had something better for him. You know, he could have returned and said, you know, for whatever reasons, I just want to go back home where I was. But Abraham said, no, God has a plan. I don't understand God's plan, but I know God has one. Abraham was mindful of God, and he was willing to be where God wanted him to be. He understood the value of God has a better home for me. God has something better in mind, even if it looked sometimes confusing to him. Abraham understood the difference between having a short home and his long home. I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Here's an admonishment from the Lord for us, starting in verse uh, 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which called you is holy, so be holy. Be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. You know, here's God giving us advice that we should just be sober-minded towards him, to follow him, to seek him. Okay? God's going to judge us according to all of our work. Sojourn our time here, focusing on him, putting him first. Verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts. You know, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Those are the things that we can battle on a daily basis. Are we somehow, um, maybe unconsciously, taking our efforts and putting them into our short home here too much on things that aren't the right way? I know I struggle with that sometimes. The short home is going to be destroyed. These earthen vessels are going to be gone. We should be striving to be in love with Christ. Striving to lay up our treasures in heaven. Um, Matthew chapter 6. Nineteen and twenty-one says, Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, the things that we're pursuing after, no matter what they are, are making us what we are. They're transforming us. So if we're seeking the things of God, if we're doing the things of God, we're going to have a heart towards God. And when that time comes, when we can realize that this might be the end of it all, we don't have to fear. We can sit there knowing that I'm about to be with Jesus. I'm going to be with my Savior. But many people, something flashes in my mind, but the last moments of their life, they live in fear. They're afraid of what's going to happen. They can say the right words, but they don't have the certainty to say, I'm going to be with Jesus Christ, and it's beautiful. Maybe I've said this before, but I just remember, I don't know if it's true or not, but this man... He was uh, a friend of mine had known him, and he said he was 
I forget what was going on, but he was sick. He was in the hospital. He wasn't going to make it. And he knew that. And he blessed everybody in that hospital. He'd look down the door. If he saw somebody coming by, he'd call him in and talk to him about Jesus. And finally, it came time where uh, his life was over. There were several people from the church there. And all of a sudden, he looked up and he said, hey, hey. He said, get out of the way. He's coming for me. That was it. I have no idea what he saw. Don't understand it. But the joy of knowing I'm going to be with my Savior and he's coming. Look at John chapter 14. Verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. God's promising us that we have a long home coming. And Jesus said, I'm going to build it myself. He's going to prepare a place for us. And he says, it's true. And I'm coming back to get you. That's a wonderful thought. That Jesus Christ loves us. He's preparing a beautiful place to us. A place that isn't going to fade away. A place that isn't going to get destroyed. Are we putting too much money and effort into this life in the wrong ways? Um, I just want to look at Second Timothy for just a minute. I'm going to pull one thing out of there. Paul is writing at this time that his life is coming to an end. He says his time of departure is at hand. He says he's fought the good fight. He's finished his race. And he says, but I know this. There's a crown that's laid up for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day. Here he is writing of the glories of his life. He's about to die. And then he says, be diligent to come to me shortly. And then the bomb goes off. For Demoth has forsaken me. Demas loved this present world and departed. You know, Demas, I don't know, but somehow he got caught up in all these things going on the things that were going on about Jesus, the things that were going on about his teachings, the miracles and all that. And he saw that. He said, boy, that looks really good. And he ran after these things and he followed them and he was part of it. He was part of Paul. But then somehow, all of a sudden, he realized, boy, there's a price to pay for this. And he ran back to the world. He didn't have that vision of the long haul. He couldn't see past that. And Paul's looking and going, I can't wait to go home. They're going to torture me. I know that. It's going to hurt. I know that. But there's a crown waiting for me, and Jesus himself is going to give it to me. And that kept him going. Demas looked at this life, and he said, I'm out of here. I don't want to go through that. I want to read a story. I know a lot of us already know the story, but the story of the 40 martyrs of Sebasti. Uh, this takes time frame would be about 320 A.D. Um, in a place Armenia, which is actually, it's now Turkey, is what it would be, present-day Turkey. And there was a governor there that had sent a legion of men, three to 6,000 men, into this area uh, 
region basically to stabilize the area. There were warriors sent down there, elite warriors, and they were put in this area to kind of stabilize it against the barbarians and the Persians coming in because of all the other wars and stuff going on. And this is one of the oddest episodes, it says, in military Christian history, an army killing its best soldiers. It was about asking them to obey and serve the pagan gods, and these 40 men refused. And it says, Governor Agricola spoke mildly but firmly. He had good and strong warriors before him. He needed them. They must be bought into line. I am told you refused to offer sacrifices ordered by the Emperor Lincus. One of the soldiers answered on behalf of the rest and said, We will not sacrifice. To do so would betray our holy faith. But what about your comrades? Consider you alone of Caesar's troops. Defy him? Think of the disgrace you will bring upon your legion. How can you do that? To disgrace the name of our Lord Jesus Christ is still more terrible still. A note of exasperation crept in the governor's voice. Give up this stubborn folly. You have no Lord but Caesar is his name. And I promise to the first of you who steps forward and does his duty. He paused a moment. He said, I promise you an award for anybody that will step forward. Expecting this allure, this lure would break their ranks, but none of them moved. He switched tactics on them. You persist in your rebellion? Then prepare for torture, prison, and death. This is your last chance. Will you obey your emperor? The soldiers stood firm, although they knew well the governor would carry out his threat. They spoke, nothing you can offer us would replace what we will lose in this next world. As for your threats, we've learned to deny our bodies where the welfare of our souls is at stake. Agricola ordered, flog them. And pairs of guards seized each man and dragged them out into the cold where they were stripped and tied to posts. Soon the swish of whips and the thuds of blows filled the air with groans. Hooks of iron tore the men's sides. Unbelievably, although their flesh was bruised, their skins were tattered and their blood flowed, not one of the forty surrendered. Chain them in dungeons, roared Agricola. We will see what Lysias has to say about this. Lysias, commander of the Twelfth Legion, was no, in no gentle mood when the forty soldiers were hauled before him a few days later. His ride to Antioch from Sevasti had been tedious and cold. You will obey me, he said sternly, or pay a sharp penalty. The men answered him with respectful defiance, just as they had Agricola. Lysias had not become a commander by coddling traitors, and he did not intend to begin now. He motioned to Agricola. Agricola came beside Lysias. As judge, he must make these unbending men conform. But how? Just then, a frigid gale blew across the frozen pond and stabbed into his cheeks. It gave him an idea. Take them down to the pond, he ordered. Turning to the soldiers, he added, You will stand naked on the ice until you agree to sacrifice unto the gods. Agricola could hardly believe what his eyes saw next. The rebels began stripping off their own clothes and running toward the pond in the freezing March air. We are soldiers of the Lord and fear no hardship, shouted one. What is death but entrance into eternal life? Sing it, brothers. Striking up a song, the men marched onto the frozen pond. Baffled, 
Agricola posted guards around them. He squinted into the falling sun. Surely the bitter cold of evening would change their minds. Wait. There was something else he could do. He did heat baths of warm water, he ordered to the guards, and placed them around the pond. This ought to lure them out pretty quickly, he smirked. The sun sank behind the hills. Then upon the air could be heard a prayer. Lord, there are forty of us engaged in this battle. Grant that forty may be crowned and not one be missing from the sacred number. And he could hear this prayer being repeated through the night. Lord, there are forty of us engaged in this battle. Grant that forty may be crowned and not one missing from the sacred number. The words rang out through the darkness. Standing on the shore, the shivering guards shouted into the night, Don't be idiots. What's the point? Come out. Warm yourselves. Look, one of the guards exclaimed suddenly, pointing towards the sky. What, said the fellow guard, his eyes probing into the darkness. It's too dark to see anything. He says, I wish this whole thing was over. I'm freezing out here. Don't you see them? Spirits hovering with golden crowns over the heads of these fellows, holding out rich robes for them. Are you out of your mind? It's pitch black. Hey, there's someone coming. It's one of them. Babbling, one of the forty crawled towards them from the ice. The two ran forward, grasped his shuddering arms, and helped him into the bath. But the heat was too much of a shock to his frozen system. He went into convulsions and he died. The guard who had seen the vision of the crowns without delay shucked off his clothes and ran under the ice. The martyrs would again be forty. When the sun rose, Agricola was told that the forty were dead. Well, get the bodies off the ice, he commanded. Burn them and dump their ashes into the river. The youngest was still alive. The guards backed the wagon near the pond, as the pond as, as close to the pond as they could, and they began stacking the stiff courses onto it, and then something very bizarre happened. We've got a live one out here, a guard shouted. It's Melito. Poor fella, he's just a child. A local boy, too. That's his mom over there. The soldier beckoned to the woman, and she came near. Listen, mother, take your boy home. Save his life as you can, and we'll look the other way. What kind of talk is that, scolded the woman. She seemed seemed generally upset. The guards looked at each other in astonishment. Would you cheat him out of his crown? I'll never let that happen. As the wagon began to roll away, she lifted her son with a peasant's strength, hoisting him onto the others. Go, son, she cried. Go to the end of this happy journey with your comrades so that you won't be the last to present yourself before God. And one of the guards tapped the side of his head, rolled his eyes upwards and said, Christians, I can't understand them. Jim Moody put no effort into the house that was going to be destroyed. He put his money, time, and effort into the house that he was going to dwell in. Let's let all of us put our, not put our effort, I guess I should say, into the things that are going to be destroyed, but to put our effort into our long home will be, will, will be embraced forever.